0: Welcome to the Playmaker Podcast, a podcast for people who want to sell different. Playmakers wage war against traditional sales and win. Remember, success is just one play away. Welcome everybody to the Playmaker Podcast. You've got your host, Gabe Larson here. We got a fun episode. We're going to be talking about all things sales development with Carrie Simpson. Carrie Simpson is the founder. She's actually done a couple of cool things, but right now she's the founder and CEO of Managed Sales Pros. Carrie, how the heck are you? I'm great. Thanks for
1: inviting me to participate today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, appreciate it. I mean, I saw you at the sales development conference and thought you had a cool and pretty authentic talk track. And it sounds like you guys are doing some fun stuff over at, uh, at Managed Sales Pros. Um, can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and and maybe a little bit about Managed Sales Pros?
1: Yeah, Managed Sales Pros has been around for, a. Mm, we're coming into our fourth year. Our, uh, our third year end is right now actually. And we were voted the 25th fastest growing startup in Canada this year. We did uh, 629% over the last two years. And we specialize in outbound cold calling for the managed services industry, which means we support technology manufacturers, distributors, and resellers.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, Cold. I mean, the thing I appreciated from your talk track is you're not afraid to do cold calling. A lot of people are afraid to do cold calling carrying team are not afraid i think they just kind of get down and get dirty um so i'll be interested to dive in and start talking about sales development but before we do i always like to put people on the spot and ask them you know outside of work anything you're you you crazy you do you're passionate about skydiving um you love (laughs) to row boats in the winter or something like that
1: uh i am learning to surf i uh i took a surfing lesson Two years ago, I take my kids somewhere every summer. So I, I don't work through the summer. I take my kids somewhere and we, we spend all summer doing something. And two years ago, it was the Pacific Coast Highway. And we took a surf lesson in Venice Beach. And we all just looked at each other. And we're like, yeah, this is who we are now. We're surfers now. This is all <laughs> we do. <laughs> so we rescheduled our entire holiday and did nothing but surf all summer. And now I spend as much time as possible uh, surfing. And uh, I'm also a, uh, a Thai-trained uh, kickboxer, so I, I trained in Thailand years ago, and I still get the opportunity to to teach kickboxing here and there, usually in the Caribbean. So I teach uh, I teach at resorts in the Caribbean in my spare time.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds like not shoddy of a life. Um, surfing in the summer, Caribbean take uh, visits uh, during the winter, and then. Running your own business throughout and I like it.
1: No uh, marketing, you can do it anywhere.
0: Uh, that's right. That's true. You can manage it from from a distance. Um, so as we get into the topic, ask yes, people, you know, if they had to give one piece of advice to a salesperson, you know, something that's just a quick takeaway, a principle they've lived by or something you found to be true in your career, anything come to mind as a as a quick takeaway?
1: Now, find something that you're actually interested in selling where you can actually, you know, rep it with some pride as opposed to just looking at like, what am I going to make the most money doing? Look at what am I most interested in talking about all day? Because that's what you're going to be doing.
0: <laughs> so well, I've spent my career, I've sold to a couple of different personas and um, I've not, I've I've noticed your point, not in just in what I sell, but in who I sell to, you know, um, I've sold to it and to HR and now I'm more selling to salespeople, but um, I've really found that I, I enjoy working with different types of buyers as well as the product that I sell. So good words of wisdom. Um shift over to this concept of sales development. I mean, your whole world has been, well, maybe not always, certainly in the last I'm looking at your LinkedIn for it looks like a fairly long time. You've been doing cold call, you've been doing outbound, you've been doing kind of inside sales, sales development, telemarketing, some version of it. Um, sales development's become an interesting term, but it's in a lot of cases got somewhat of a bad rap. I mean, marketing kind of looks down on these people sometimes and says, "Hey, you guys aren't doing your job." Sales looks down on them sometimes and says, "You're not doing your job." Um, why does sales development have such a bad rap, and how can we kind of get away from it?
1: Like, first of all, it started from a a place where there was a lot of negative. Feedback around it, right? When people picture sales development, they picture telemarketing. And when they picture telemarketing, they picture people calling people at home and interrupting them during dinner and more of that kind of high volume butts in seats play where as long as you've got a 100 people sitting in the chairs, it doesn't matter what 100 people they are. So I think once you started pulling layers off of that and started creating a more professional approach to sales prospecting, the job became a little bit more appealing. But we're still dealing with kind of negative, almost an overhang from like back in the day when you could just like sit sit at your computer all day and not even your computer, flip through your Rolodex, smoke your cigarettes and, you know, pound out calls all day nonstop. (laughs) It's not like that and we've given the we've given our sales development teams better salaries, better tools, uh, better reputations really but we're still judging our sales development team on the performance of the closers on our teams
0: uh, right So you're yeah. looking at a,
1: a sales funnel and the the SDR was responsible for one piece of that sales funnel, but they're being judged on what happens at another part of the sales funnel. I think that's the yeah, point to one flaw yeah. in the process that's it.
0: And it does. It seems like we've gotten a little weird down that alley. Um, why do you feel like, certainly when it comes to measuring and analyzing the performance of sales development, there's always a hundred ways to skin a cat. But, um, why, why have we trended? Why do you think organizations have trended towards paying sales development reps on something that maybe is out of their control? Is it just a, a fancy trend or do you think there's a good reason behind it or what's your thought?
1: I think if you look at traditional forecasting, like look at the way that any CRM system is built, for example, they're built for a very, in a very specific way, uh, you know, they're built with one funnel and up here at the top of the funnel is, you know, lead and then the lead gets converted to a s- suspect and the suspect gets converted to a prospect and the prospect gets converted to and so on and so forth. And for the longest time, those are the only, you know, if, if you look at the way that everybody forecasts, for example, they're all forecasting using this what I think is an outdated funnel. And they're they're giving they're giving different people at different stages of the funnel the opportunity to give weight to the um opportunities. Right. So they are they're saying, well, uh, this is a 50 percent chance. And what makes it a 50 percent chance? Is it gut instinct? Is it an actual activity? Is it being applied to a timeline that's realistic? Like I think you look at when you're looking at the traditional sales funnel, you're looking at a couple of faulty pieces of information. Right. Like a, a sales rep. Are you a are you a highly aggressive forecaster or are you a very conservative forecaster? So, are you pushing your own thoughts back on the funnel as opposed to basing your forecasting on real live activities that are happening right now? So, the the sales development rep puts something into the funnel and then all of a sudden the responsibility of that opportunity has been taken from them and put on someone else's plate and now they're forecasting based on not necessarily facts but quite often feelings. Right? So they're going back to the sales development team or the sales development leader and saying, hey, that lead was garbage. Right? Well, how was it garbage? Because here's what you expected of the SDR. You wanted them to identify an opportunity that looked like X, Y, and Z with a timeline of this. And that's what they've brought you. So I think there, you get into this um, back and forth between the sales development team. And the marketing team or the sales team, depending on where they're reporting to, and you're getting this almost he he said, she said, when really like the sales development rep should be responsible for what their deliverables are. And their deliverables are a set number of qualified appointments. That look like this. And if they're providing those, they are doing their job. And I think sales often comes back and says, well, I couldn't do anything with that lead because it was garbage. But it isn't garbage if it met all the parameters that you identified as being the things that you wanted. The sales development rep can't close it for you. So are you hiring well, like, sales like- development or are you hiring sales? Like pick one, they can't be both.
0: Yeah, but I wonder if, you know, as I hear you talk through that, I. I think where's the breakage on that and maybe often it is in what is the the definition of a quality opportunity. You know, I think of marketing and sales and this debate was had and it still is obviously happening with, with sales and marketing, but one of the ways they tried to shore up their, you know, maybe true up their relationships, a better word is, you know, marketing came up with a marketing score. You know, it's something to say, Hey, this lead is it's it's an 80 on these parameters and oh. therefore if it's above <laughs> an 80 we can pass it to sales we're going to get
1: into this now <laughs> um, that that makes me crazy like they're they're judging those or weighting those leads on arbitrary things that aren't even important you, right like just talking, because somebody visited your before. website you're 8 saying, times doesn't mean that they're an 80 Right. Like yeah. for all you know, it was somebody looking for a job or something. Like there's no way to tell what's going on. Like, that that makes me nuts. That like that arbitrary marketing score based on well, they opened these four emails and they they looked at the website three times. So therefore they are the most qualified lead that we've ever had.
0: <laughs> like no, they're which, not. Which, which I can't argue that most marketing scores are bunk. Um but but the principle of Having a definition or having something, because I feel like, you know, going, go, <laughs> going to sales development and sales, it's like, it is mostly like a he said, she said, right? It's like, well, hey, I, I got those four, I got these points that, that I thought it was good. And the salesperson, like, you didn't get the four points. Well, sometimes we don't even know what the four points are. Um, it's not really documented anywhere. I use the marketing example is like, at least they've got something tangible to kind of go off, but, it does seem like often between sales and sales development it is just a it's kind of a he said she said thing
1: but are you clearly defining what you want from your sales development team or from us for example i mean we're a sales development outsourcing company and if a client comes to us and says here's what a qualified lead looks like to us right they have between 20 and 100 employees and they have at least this much in revenue, and they're interested in having another conversation. Like There has to be an interest there, and there has to be a timeline outlined, and there's got to be a bunch of things. Um, but at that point, once you've ticked off all the boxes, that is a lead, right? Like It's got all the things that you said that you wanted. Now, what you do with that lead is up to you. If you call them and you decide that you don't want to pursue that lead, that's that's fine, but don't go back to the sales development rep and say, Hey, your lead was garbage. Your lead wasn't garbage. The lead was exactly what you requested.
0: So, and, and I'm, 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 totally, with you. it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I think I've heard some leaders say, Hey, the, the problem is if I pay my sales development team and, and I pay them, let's just say on, on qualified opportunities or appointments or something, and those don't turn out to, to close all then I'm basically paying them for nothing. If I, if I was a sales leader and I asked that to Carrie, without saying I'm an idiot, what would Carrie say?
1: <laughs> well, I think that there are other ways to look at con- – like, first of all, we don't spiff our sales development team at all here. Like, there is no variable compensation there. The sales development reps that we hire, we hire on a, a flat monthly – or flat, but we hire on a salary And we offer them benefits and we like we made it into a role that is completely non-dependent on what happens at the end of the funnel simply because there's just one no way to identify and predict how many qualified opportunities there are going to be in a particular market on a particular month at any given time. And the people that we hire have bills to pay. They don't want to guess what they're going to make at the end of the month right we don't have an end of quarter scramble here we don't have an end of year oh my god we better get our numbers in we have a there are a finite number of opportunities our goal is to find all of them and make sure that we're presenting them to the people that can do something with them so if you look at sales development as a like what's the job of sales development first and foremost it's data integrity and succession planning right it's all about Garbage in, garbage out. So if your SDRs are doing their job correctly, every data point in your database should be valuable to you. You should be able to search and slice and dice and mix and market any way you want because your sales development reps do such a great job of filling in every user-defined field and moving the opportunities forward in a way that makes sense. Are they properly nurturing? Are they tracking things like contract end dates? You've you've got a real a – real, um, I think that the biggest challenge especially in in your market. So when I say your market I mean like the valley. <laughs> you're paying your SDRs <laughs> an extraordinary amount and you're expecting them to be miracle workers, right? Are they are you hiring a sales rep or are you hiring a sales development rep? Because I think half the time their sales reps, your closers get lazy. Right? They're expecting the SDR to take the to take the opportunity 75% of the way to close, but the SDR's job is 25% of the opportunity, not 75%. You don't just get to pick up the lead, walk in with a contract and a pen, sign your deal, and go have a beer. You actually have to do some work.
0: <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. So if you – um, you know, when you I and it sounds like you have these conversations all the time, you're obviously very well spoken <laughs> around the topic. Do you um and, and that's very intriguing? I mean, you kind of went with the flat fee, no variable comp for your sales development reps. When it comes to measuring um the funnel of a sales development rep and you were gonna and you may do this internally or you may coach this externally, how should organizations think about managing the metrics of the sales development funnel?
1: So it's going to depend on where you're going to split the sales development, marketing, and sales roles. It's really hard to to say that there's one particular best practice for any particular organization. But we look at the sales development or the sales funnel. We break it into three funnels, and the first funnel that I'm looking at internally here is, you no, know, stage one is net new. This is untouched data. It's from any lead source. Stage two and funnel one is it's. This is touch data. We've had initial engagement. We've learned as much as we can from non-decision maker influencers. So, we're talking to anybody who'll take our phone call. We're filling in all the blanks. We're making the data useful and clean. Stage three is active one. We're actively working this lead at a regular cadence, and we don't have it qualified or disqualified, and then... Funnel one, stage four is qualified. We've confirmed the lead meets the required parameters. We can move it forward in the pipeline, whether it's by size, by vertical, technology dependency, strategy, current infrastructure, whatever it is that you're looking for. And this is done by actually engaging with someone and having them confirm all the data, not by guessing. So if you look at that first funnel, you're going to look at things like how many, t- how many conversations are you having in a day? Not how many dials are you making, but what happens on those dials? Uh, things that I look for if I'm looking for a problem, the first thing I'm looking at is time between dials. What's happening in between calls? Is there is there too much work required of the rep in between dials for them to be successful? So do they have to fill out 17 different user-defined fields and can we reduce that somehow? So whenever there's a flaw in the process, things start to go badly and we start to go work backwards and say, "Okay, how can we how can we decrease that time between dials? Can we decrease yeah. that?" And if not, you know, what else can we do to support this person? So there's the metrics that we're looking at are things like, okay, you made 100 calls today, but you only spoke to 20 people. So where are you struggling? Right? Are you struggling with getting through that initial gatekeeper conversation? Are you struggling? We've had you know, brand new callers that didn't realize that you could just press zero and talk to people. So, I mean, we've created standard operating procedures for the most simple of activities right if this happens do this <laughs> but that's like years of learning right like looking at the numbers no. and going what's going on here why is this happening like, did they Don't. not realize Don't. they could just press zero
0: <laughs> no it's, <laughs> it's like it, it
1: was so like you have to almost dummy proof the system but once everyone knows what's expected of them it, it makes it a lot really simple
0: yeah, yeah. Um, well, interesting. And I, and we appreciate you coming on. I have two last questions I want to ask you, Carrie, and then we'll let you get back to your day job. Um, <laughs> and, and one is uh, relevant to our exact conversation and one's uh, a little bit outside of it. Uh, the first one is cold calling dead.
1: <laughs> I just—I <laughs> I always say like, "Oh, I wish somebody told me cold calling was dead before I started this multi-million-dollar cold calling business." <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, it's not dead.
0: It's going to put my kids through college. Um, so, I mean, the long and short of it, I mean, you're still calling. I know you're—you're you're more of a phone phone first um, program. Um, and it's worked fine. I mean, you're playing dragons you're working fine right no no issues there
1: i think that the the human connection is being stripped out of the sales process and people still appreciate it we focus on a very specific market like most of the time the companies that we are calling are small businesses right they're between 20 and 100 employees And the owners of those businesses are my age or they're older, right? Like I'm 45. I didn't have a computer on my desk until I was like 26. So Mm -hmm. my first like six years of my career, I was like Rolodexing telephoning, right? People work the way they're comfortable working. People in their 60s aren't adopting new technology very often. Maybe their assistant is helping them with their new technology. But most of the time, people work the way they're comfortable working. So you're ignoring... You know, everybody between what the ages of 40 and 60 when you're leaning towards what I would call like simple, inexpensive default marketing. Right. We're going to try it this way. We're going to blast out an email to like everybody and their dog, and we're going to hope that they don't unsubscribe so that we can continue to contact them. But there's no (laughs) personal, but there's no like personal engagement where you just get to like, you just get to talk to people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, we go. We focus so much on autom- automation that we often lose personalization. I, I, I think there is a lot of truth to that. Um, last question for you, a little off topic, but I think it's one that's often questioned. And because it's your realm, I'm interested to get your take on it. I mean, when should organizations, uh, is there a right time and a wrong time to outsource to a company like yours or outsource your sales development team? How would you help an organization kind of just think through that at a very high level?
1: It's kind of a double-edged sword. I think in order to in order to get to the point where one you can afford to outsource, you need to be selling enough and effectively enough that you already understand your sales process enough to know whether or not the outsourced company you just hired is taking you for a ride or not. Right? Mm. Like there is kind of a cart and horse problem here. If you don't understand your sales cycle you are going to fail outsourcing for the same reasons that you're failing doing things in-house currently. <laughs> like you, hey, there, we, There's, we there's nothing magic here. Else,
0: else, yeah, no. else, my <laughs> the hey. only
1: difference between, like, the only thing that we offer that you can't do in-house is immediacy and volume right? We can be on the phone in two weeks. We will be scheduling appointments for you before you've even finished your very prohibitively ridiculous hiring
0: process. (laughs) Awesome. Oh, what a great answer. So, yeah. So, so interesting. So it is a little bit of a catch 22 sometimes. I mean, you've got to be, um, and so, so the advice you'd leave is each business is slightly different and, Um, you know, take it one step at a time because it's not going to be some miracle thing. I mean, typically where you are, where you are, whether you can do it internal or
1: external. Dave,
0: your best course
1: of action is always going to be doing it internally. I mean, perfect world, you would hire a company like ours while you were figuring it out internally so that you didn't have huge dips in your pipeline while you were figuring it out. Like that revolving door of sales development reps when you don't have a process that creates... um, That creates something that allows for churn without disrupting your business, like until you have that in place you're going to have these these productivity dips where people come in and whether it's a leadership issue or maybe you're just like, most of the startups I talk to are kind of like 100% passionate about what they've built and what they're building and how they're changing it and fixing it. And the sales is almost like a bolt on They don't usually take sales experts and then build products. <laughs> they do it the other way, right? They build a product. They're like, uh, okay, let's find somebody to sell it now. And there's lots of trial and error. So I think where we are the most helpful in those situations are we can create that process we can execute on that process we can do it quickly and we do it consistently we don't have to take time away from the phone to write proposals we don't have to deal with the board we don't have to do any of that we just call all day and while we do that you figure out what you need to figure out and we can either help you do that or we can we can actually take the process that we build for you and replicate it for you internally Mm -hmm. or you can figure it out on your own and then at some point you've got this kind of crossover where you slowly wind down your outsource team and you know your your internal team is working as well as if not better than the team that you build outsourcing that's the promised land
0: it. interesting kind of uh best of both worlds there okay well um carrie really appreciate the time great talk track sounds like you certainly you know, you know the topic better than most, and you can tell it. It screams uh, coming out of the phone. If someone wants to get a hold of you or learn a little bit more about what you guys do, what's the best place to do that?
1: Um, you can visit us online, com. Uh, my email is carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, at dot com. And I'm going to uh, tell anybody out there right now who's going to follow up with an email trying to sell me something, call me. <laughs> I buy things on the phone. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Um, she she talks and talks and walks and walks. Well, Carrie, again, thanks so much for joining. Um, again, I, I just think it's an interesting talk, especially the last part. I think a lot of people are wondering how to navigate that kind of internal, so I put it external. Uh, I think those were wise words. So for the audience, remember, success is just one play away.